Would you please pray with me? Oh, Father God, we praise your holy name because you are a God who saves. And you would demonstrate the depths of your love for sinners like us by becoming the God who bleeds. Thank you for sending your son, Jesus, by becoming one of us. Thank you, Jesus, that you bled for our sins. You wore our sins upon your head as you were nailed to that tree. And we thank you for the life that now reigns in us, the resurrected life of Christ Jesus, that because you live, Jesus, we too can live. And Father, we ask you as a merciful Father and a loving, saving God to come again afresh and be with us. Be again this morning the God who saves. Saves those who are in despair. Save those who are just so broken. Save those who, who don't yet know you and the work of your Son. Oh, Holy Spirit, come and be with us. Give us the life of Christ so that we could give you the glory and the praise you deserve and that we could become more like you. It's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. Good morning, Orangewood. Good morning and welcome. It's great to be with you and worship with you. If you'll turn with me in your Bibles to Titus chapter 2. Uh, we're in the midst of a series called Proper Working Order. We're looking at this little book. It's actually a letter that Paul wrote to Titus on how to get our lives, how to get our church, our leadership, uh, our community in the proper working order. Uh, so far, we've looked at those three things, our, our lives, uh, our leadership. I should say two things today. Uh, we're going to look at proper working discipleship. Uh, how can we live and pass on what God has given to us? It's a bittersweet Sunday for us uh, because when we think of discipleship, we can think of the interns who've come and joined us this summer that have poured their lives into our youth and into our, our children for the glory of God. And this is their last Sunday. Um, just last Wednesday, we had a, a, a staff lunch and had everyone there. And I got to tell you, I just love hearing them talk about how well Orangewoods love them. Thank you, Orangewood. And I'm so grateful for the ministry they've had to us. So interns, we're going to miss you. Thank you so much for serving Jesus in our midst. Uh, uh, can we just say thanks? Thanks for those. Thanks for those of them at home. Uh, who... Awesome. Thank you. In the 2008 Beijing Summer Olympics, uh, the uh, highly anticipated event of the 4x100 relay, of all track and fields events, the 4x100 is usually a slam dunk for the USA. I mean, I think we've won like 16 or 17 world record times in this event. But in 2008, in, in this Olympic Games, both the men and the women were disqualified in the 4x100 relay. Of all the training, of all the running, of all the things that they have done to prepare for it, they were disqualified, not because they were the fastest or weren't the fastest, not because they didn't train well enough. It was because simply they did not pass the baton properly throughout the race. And because of that reality, the world-class athletes, the highly anticipated favorites, those who were a shoe in the wind, were disqualified. It's interesting that the Bible describes the Christian life as a race. And as we look at scripture a little bit more closely, we see, especially in the book of Hebrews, Hebrews 11 and 12, we realize that it's a relay race. 
I love how God's word tells us this in, in chapter 11 of, of the uh, book of Hebrews. It's kind of like a, a hall of fame of faith. It's maybe like walking down the halls and you can see all those who have gone before us that, that have their picture up there uh, on the halls of this hall of fame. Those who believed in God. Those broken sinners like you and me that, that trusted in God's promises of a savior. Those that have gone before us. And, and then he gets to chapter 12 after you read this uh, great hall of fame of faith. And it says, now we are to run the race with endurance because there's a great crowd of witnesses that have wa- are watching us. They have done their job. And really the bottom line is this, they've passed the baton of faith to us. I love what the writer of Hebrews says in that first few verses of 12. It says, let us run the race with endurance. This is not, Christianity is not a solo race. Christianity is not just a race with you and God, and that's what it's all about. Christianity is a community race. It's, it's a relay race. It's what God has called for us for the kingdom's sake. And tells us in this passage how we are to live our lives uh, to make sure that we aren't disqualified. Ultimately, to say this, the faith that you have, if you have it by God's grace in Christ Jesus, is a faith that is to be passed down. The baton of faith must be passed so in Titus 2, we're going to see that that's passing of the baton. It begins with Paul, who wrote it. Uh, he wrote it to a young preacher named Titus. Uh, Titus is in a place called Crete. Uh, and he's going to pass the baton to Titus and say, Titus, you got to preach in a certain way with sound teaching. And then, Titus, here's what you're going to have to do. You're going to have to, to take the older men. Get ready, men. We'll see who the older men are. And the older women... And you'll have to pass the baton of faith to them. But then it changes a little bit. It says the older women, uh, the older men are to pass the baton to the younger men. And it's very specific, very specific that the older women are to pass this baton of faith to the younger women. How practical, how wonderful. God's word says, Titus, I don't want you to do it. You're not qualified for the church to be all the church is supposed to be. Older women, your job, pass the baton of faith to the younger women, and we'll see all that that means. The bottom line is this. For us to be a church in proper working order, we have to be a church that's making disciples of Christ. We can't be a church without it. And to be a church that makes disciples, those who are followers of Christ, we have to be passing the baton together from generation to generation, from one to the next. Okay, let me give you a couple other uh, little side notes here as we get going. Just handles to help you understand this text. You're going to see in this text the primacy of the household. It's true in God's word that the primacy of the baton being passed of faith is in families. God is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. If you were here this this summer, remember David Outing preaching that great sermon. Uh, He's a God of generations. And and the primacy of this great faith is passed down in the family. If you remember, if you've been with us as we've gone through this text, there's something happening to households. The households are under attack. Bad teaching has gotten in and and people are getting confused. Matter of fact, whole households are, are being torn apart with bad teaching. And so this discipleship is so important, specifically in the household, to silence those bad teachers. I also want you to see uh, the word that's translated likewise. The word likewise that we're about ready to read, to me, it really is the passing of the baton. 
Because what we're going to see in this text is this. Paul is going to tell Titus how to train young men. He's going to give them a list of, of things to do. And then, uh, I should say older men, and then older women. And the word likewise is basically saying, this list, pass on and include this. Pass the baton, likewise, uh, to the older, to the younger, to make sure everyone gets this great gospel of Jesus Christ to give us life and to set us free. So if you have your Bibles, let's look to this amazing passage, uh, Titus 2. We're going to look at verses 1 through 10. Let me remind you that this is actually a letter written a long time ago by a guy named Paul to a pastor named Titus in a place named Crete. But because of the power of the Holy Spirit, God actually breathed his very being and substance through Paul that this is now a living word. Here's the point. Whoever you are, whatever condition you find yourself in, this letter is for you. This letter is for God to communicate to you, to reveal to you who he is and what he requires from us. So let's lean in and ask the Holy Spirit to speak. Titus 2, verse 1. But as for you, Paul writes to Titus, teach what accords with sound doctrine. Older men are to be sober-minded, dignified, self-controlled, sound in faith, in love, and in steadfastness or patience. Older women, likewise, are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers or slave to much wine. They are to teach what is good and so train the young women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind and submissive to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be reviled. Likewise, there's that baton pass, urge the younger men to be self-controlled. So show yourself in all respects to be a model of good works. And in your teaching, showing integrity, dignity, and sound speech that cannot be condemned, so that an opponent may be put to shame, having nothing evil to say about us. Bond servants are to be submissive uh, to their own masters in everything. They are to be well-pleasing, not argumentative, not pilfering or stealing, but showing all good faith, so that in everything they may adorn or put in proper working order, make beautiful the doctrine of God, our Savior. Let us pray. Oh, Father God, we ask that the Spirit of living God would come, come through this broken sinner, come through this preacher and speak clearly so that you will adorn the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ that you will adorn, put in proper working order your word so that our lives, our church, our discipleship could be put in proper working order. Oh, Father God, give us ears to hear your son's voice through his word. Give us minds to understand, Father, to grasp your word and what it means for us. Oh, Father, I pray your Holy Spirit would be so attentive to the preaching of the word today that you would give us faith Faith to believe in our hearts. That each heart here would embrace your truth and believe. Break our hearts of the coldness and the sin that exists and the disbelief. That Lord, you'd be here in a way that causes us to leave here more in love with you. More committed to live our lives for you. That you would cause our feet to walk in a manner worthy 
of the gospel of Jesus Christ. God, the things that I say that are wrong or that are my opinion, may those things be quickly forgotten and fall away. But the things that are said that are true, that contain the eternal good news of your love in, for us in Christ Jesus, would you use those things to bring yourself glory, to bring us joy and challenge, and to make us more like your Son, our Savior Jesus. And it's in his precious name we pray. Amen. If you want to follow along in the outline and the bulletin, it's there for you. The first thing we see in this passage is Paul passes the baton on to Titus. Now, the Greek here is very emphatic. He wants to really make sure. Now, Titus, you, you are the one I'm talking to. You need to preach with sound doctrine. You need to teach what accords to sound doctrine to make sure that we are going to have sound living. He's basically saying this, Titus, you can't forget the gospel. You've got to be able to open up all of God's word and point to the hope that is in there for every single one of us, that there's a God who saves and this amazing God who saves his sound doctrine, his reality is that Jesus came to rescue you. Jesus came to do that which you couldn't do. I mean, teach the sound doctrine of the reality of a God who saves and saves through the life, death, and resurrection of his son. Teach the God's word and, 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 and let us all know that it's a living and active word. Because what's happening in Crete is what's happening in the church right now. That many are not teaching the truth about who God is and what he requires of us. And how we can have a relationship with him all by his grace, all through the work of his son, Titus, teach with sound doctrine. But then what he says is this, in verses 7 and 8, it's very interesting. He's going to talk about the, uh, the older men and the older women and the younger men and the younger women. But he's going to pick back up with Titus in verses 7 and 8. So I want to turn there again. Again, he says in Titus 1, teach which which accords you, Titus, with sound doctrine. And then he says this in verse 7 to Titus. Listen to this closely. I want you to see the order of this. Show yourself in all respects to be a model of good works. And in your teaching, show integrity, dignity, and sound speech that cannot be condemned. So that an opponent may be put to shame, having nothing evil to say about us. Did you see what just happened? Haven't you heard practice what you preach? I mean, don't we long for that from the church and from the preachers? Practice what you preach. And have we not gotten a huge black eye because of the reality of the hypocrites that, like me, sometimes stumble and fall? But I love what, what Paul says to Titus. Practice before you preach. Practice before you preach. Listen, I'm calling you to give a good word, but your life better reflect it. And he says, may you be a model of good works, not because you, to, to be saved, because you are saved. May your life be a model of good works. Why? So that your message actually has a punch. Not just practice what you preach, but practice so that you can preach. You see, our lifestyles have to match our message. It's primarily true of the preacher. And when it's not, it just breaks the church apart. And again, the society have reason to say, look at those knuckleheads. But the reality is, is I want the world to know, saved but by the grace of God, a sinner who's prone to wander, but who wants to bring honor and glory to my Savior. But not just me, you as well. You too are an ambassador of Christ. 
You too, God wants to, he's reconciled the world to himself through his own son. It's amazing. And ready for this? For all of us, he's given us a ministry called reconciliation that God wants to make his appeal through us. He says, our lifestyle should be the aroma of Christ. May we practice what we preach. May we practice so we have the ability to preach to others. He uses this Greek word, uh, hina, it's called. It means uh, in order that or so that. Here's the deal he's saying. Titus, I want you to live your life this way. I'm passing the baton to you. I'm passing the baton to you. Why? So that all the opponents, it's actually singular, any opponent we have may be silenced and the gospel may be seen. Well, Titus then says, uh, Paul says to Titus, then pass the baton to the older men. You know, it's humbling reading this and saying, okay, what's the older men? It's not me. It's not me. I can't be old. I'm young. Those who've raised their family... Those who've gone through these things, I think, I think I'm more of an old man than not. Not just the gray hair, and for some of you, I see more forehead than others. But older men, those of you who've been through life experiences, it has words for you. You may not want to be an older man, but if you are, listen to what God's word says to you. It starts off this, be sober-minded. Your translation may say temperate, but it really has... It has the indication of being sober, not being addicted to wine. Why? Because here's the reality. Is it not true that life is not for wimps? Is it not true that life is a full contact sport? I mean, I feel like there should be a sign that says that we could give to a child when they're born danger. This is a, this is a ride that could cause a heart attack. This is a ride that could really mess up your back. This is a ride that can really terrify you and bring tears. That's what life is about. And here's what God's word is saying to us who are older men. Be sober-minded. Don't just take the edge of life off with alcohol, drugs, porn, or whatever else you're going to turn to. I mean, live your life in a way that you know that there's an intensity to it. But God is with us as Emmanuel. And he wants us to, to turn to him and him alone for our solace and our comfort. And he wants us to be sober-minded about the fact that we live in a pretty crazy, mixed-up place, do we not? Be sober-minded. Life isn't for wimps. Be dignified. Again, the word means be worthy of respect. Men, older men, this is what it says. Live your life with dignity. I mean, be dignified. Be worthy of respect. Let the next generation look to our lives and say, that's what a man should be. And that's how a man should live. With dignity. Uh, dignity before the Lord. I mean, we reflect his image, especially for believers. We've been saved uh, through the work of his son. Live your life, older men, with dignity, uh, with worthy of respect. And then he says this word self-control. Now, it's interesting because self-control is not just for you older men. Self-control is the one expression that's going to wrap every single one of these. Every single one is, is saying, God is saying to all of us in this place, live your life in self-control, sensible. It's true for all. It's true all where we go, in our home, in our churches, in our workplaces, in our schools, with non-believers. And as I dug deeper into this, you realize that only the gospel of Jesus Christ gives us the power, the ability to live our lives with self-control. Why do you say that? Because in Christ, we have been forgiven. We've been robed in righteousness. In Christ, he is our life. He is our identity. He is our security. No matter what comes into our lives, those things don't have to change us or our passion or lose control. Here's the reality. 
Our Father's in perfect control. I know it doesn't always seem it, but he's God. And he's got a handle on it all. And he tells us to live our life in self-control. And that's really resting in him. And he is sufficient in what he has done for us. Only filled with the Holy Spirit. Each one of us live with self-control. And then he says this. He says to the older men, here, I want you to be sound in faith. Sound in faith. Because it's, it's all starts there. If you remember at the beginning of this letter, Paul says that he is writing this for the, the faith of the elect. The faith of the church. Why faith? Because by God's grace, that's the instrument that we are saved through when it connects us to Christ. Be sound in faith. Basically is saying, make sure you know how you're right with God. <laughs> be sound in faith because there are going to be people who come and say, if you really want to get right with God, you got to be doing this. You got to be doing that. Make sure you're sound in faith and you know God's word and know what he requires of us, a relationship with him through Christ Jesus. Be sound in faith. How are you? But also in love. In love for God and in love for one another. And then he says, be sound in steadfastness. It's kind of interesting. The word could be used perseverance. For those of you who read the Bible and you know Paul a little bit, uh, you might be saying, well, Paul usually talks about faith, hope, and love. Why did he go faith, love, and endurance? Really that word hope is in the word endurance. But here's the bottom line. Life's hard. And that hope is going to be wrung out of you sometimes. Old men, you guys know it. You've been around the block. You got the scars internally and externally, maybe to prove it. And God's word saying, you got to be sound in your faith. Hang on. You got to be sound in your love. Don't stop loving God and those around you. And you got you to pers- persevere. What I love about our scripture and I love about our God is we persevere because he perseveres for us and through us. As we sang, he will never let us go. <clears throat> Titus. Pass on the baton to the older men. And then it says, likewise. There's that great word, likewise. Here comes more. Titus passed the baton on to older women in verse 3. Here's a, for those of you, um, older women. Again, the category, having had children. Um, a little bit older, maybe uh, an older single. Um, reverent in behavior is the first thing. What a great, what a phenomenal Greek word. Reverent in behavior. It basically means priestess. It basically means one who acts like a priest, uh, one who acts before God, realizing that her, God, her life is precious in God's sight, one who realizes older women, who realize that the, the body you have uh, is actually the temple of the Holy Spirit, and the body you have is to be lived in your life, you're supposed to be living, is really to bring him honor and glory. So reverent in behavior, always being reminded that you do not own your life your life is hidden in Christ and you are to be reverent in your behavior. And then it, the next word is not slanderers. Again, a very interesting word. Do you know the devil is in the word? Literally, in the Greek. It comes, really, the word devil is in there. The father of lies. It's a slanderer. It's a gossip. And we're saying to the older women, uh, live reverent lives, but don't be slanderous. Don't be a gossip. Let's make it a little more clear. Don't pass on those juicy little stories about others that aren't edifying. I mean, if it's not building somebody up, don't engage in it. May your words be words that build up and bring honor and glory to God. Don't be a gossip. Don't be a busybody. Not slaves to much wine. Again, just like it said to the, to the men, be sober-minded. 
The reality is, those of us who've been around the block, we know that life's painful, doesn't it? And we know that we want to numb the pain. And we're going to go somewhere to numb the pain. And the reality is, is God says, don't go anywhere to numb the pain other than me. And you, got, you can't be a, a slave to wine. The word slavery is there. What does God call us to be slaves to for him? He's, been, he's laid his life down for us. Now we live our, lay our lives down for him. Not slaves to much wine. It doesn't say not any wine. Good news. Right? It doesn't say just bad wine. It just says much wine. So we got to be careful of that. And I really specifically want to think is, ladies, are you going somewhere to dull the pain that God doesn't want you to go to? And then it says, teach what is good. And really, this is past the baton. Older women are exhorted to teach the younger women, not Titus. What, what wisdom of God? He specifically says, let me make it clear. Ladies, if you're an older woman in this church, your job to pass the baton to the younger generations, yours, not mine. Okay? You, God's calling you to do it. Not me. It's not healthy. And the word, the word uh, it was so cool. Teach what is good is one Greek word, not used anywhere else in Greek history. It's basically a compound word, good, teach. Teach what is good. And it doesn't mean formal training. Good news. It means this, informal, live your life before others in a way that they see that is how to live. And here's even better news. Don't have to be Jesus. Don't have to be perfect. Live your life in love with him. Acknowledge your brokenness and sin. Let the, the grace of God be seen in even the brokenness and darkness of your life. But teach what is good by being you in love with Jesus. Older women pass the baton to the younger women. Verses 4 and 5. It says, pass the baton, teach them, train younger women. Again, the Greek here is pretty interesting. Bring them to their senses. Advise or urge. Now here, here's an easy list. This is going to be so easy for us. We'll plow right through this easy list. This is where God's word gets really easy. And I, if you can't see them, just kidding. You're missing. The first thing it says this, train younger women to love, have love for their husbands and children. You know, this is so heavy. First of all, how humbling it is they have to be trained to love us. So lovable, guys. What's up? I mean, so natural. Train them. I want to talk about priority: husband, children. Husband first. Some of us, some of you women, wrap your lives around your children. I understand it, but it can't be at the primacy of your husband. First and foremost, your savior, your marriage. Okay. I just met with a guy recently. Said I think my my marriage is going to come to an end when my kids are gone. We have nothing. If, if your marriage is just your kids, it's not where it's supposed to be. The primacy of your home, Christ, you're each other's spouse, okay? That's the first thing. But then it says, teach your uh, young ladies to love for their husbands. Uh, again, apparently it didn't come natural. Has anybody watched The Bachelorette? Do not raise your hand. I don't want to see how many of you watch The Bachelorette. I don't want to know how many, maybe in my own household, watch The Bachelorette, Okay. I mean, that's like, oh my goodness. You know, here's the deal. You have one pretty woman that, that like you have a team of guys that are trying to woo so that they'll get married. I mean, I'm sitting there thinking, this is what courting's become? I mean, really? I mean, this is what love's all about? And if this was all about, then we'd have to say, train them to love these guys because you're not getting real love out of Hollywood, are you? Well, let's put it in this context. It wasn't The Bachelorette, but it wasn't that dinner that you go on with your spouse to talk about an anniversary thing. Remember the first time we fell in love, honey? Remember how, remember our heart started beating? You know what happened with these whole households? 
they were probably arranged marriages. They were probably somebody's dad getting with somebody else's dad saying, it'd be a good thing we get our families together here. So he says, teach them to love their, their husbands and their children. You would think that there's, there's a little bit of work there. But remember, the privacy of the home. I mean, this is, this is a way that God has ordered it. And for us to live in that way. Self-control and pure, it says. Self-control and pure. That's that self-control again, that pure, it's a virtuous, chaste life. Again, I want to I deal with the single woman here for just a minute. This includes you too. This passage does have the primacy of the home here. But you too, as single women, are to be self-controlled and pure. But there's something else I got to tell you as your pastor. We live in a society that wants to tell you that if you're not married, there's something wrong with you and you're incomplete. And that's bull. Okay? I mean, ask a married person who's been married for 20 minutes if you think that marriage really completes us. It just shows us we're broken people that need a savior. Jesus is a sufficient for all of us. The guy who wrote this was single. The Savior who's this all about is single. And if you're here and if we've made you feel like you're something other than a part of God's family and exactly maybe where God has you, I'm sorry. God calls some of us to singleness. And he calls us to live our lives in obedience and self-control and bring him honor and glory there as well. Be pure and chaste where you are. But know that you're beloved. And you're complete in Christ. Working at home. Another easy one. Working home in kind. Well, there's the primacy of the home. Remember what was happening to the homes. They, 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 were, they were in dispute. I mean, they were, they were being torn apart. So working at home. There's a couple things to think about. There's really no other whole lot of work outside the home. There's clearly the primacy of the home. But you, what you also have to know is this. Scripture's so beautiful. The virtuous woman in Psalm 31, guess what? She worked outside the home. She worked outside the home and she was darn good at it. She made a profit. And she was bright and smart and talented and really good at what she did. But what she did outside of the home was not ever at the expense of the home because her children and her husband raised up and they called her blessed. For those of you who work outside the home, if that's what God is blessing and that's where you are, fantastic. But it should never be at the expense of the home. I got to tell you, it's very difficult times. It feels like women are called to be everything, to all people. And God's word is saying, make sure that the privacy of the home. Hey, by the way, men, remember we talked about officers? It says that you, your children should be believers. <laughs> Raising children is not the wife's job. It's our job. And, and, and he's telling us officers and leaders of the church that we better have kids who believe. And so if we think that it's our wives' jobs uh, to be the ones who raise our kids, we've completely missed it, especially with the passing of the baton of faith. Okay, be working at home. And here's another word he says, you ready for this? He uses a four-letter word to describe how to work at home. Kind. <laughs> you should laugh at that. It's kind of funny. Work at home and be Kind. Because that's kind of the hardest work in the world, is it not? I mean, it's selfless work. It's, it's, it's usually work that is done where, where you're managing a household. You're the queen of the household. How many people are calling you blessed for it? They're dropping stuff all over the place. They're, 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 they're selfish. They act like you're not even there. I mean, it's incredible. And here's what God's word says to you. Ready for this? Primarily the home, you got to get your attention there and be other way. Be nice about it. Be kind. Wow, only in Christ Jesus, he showed kindness. And then it says another easy one, submissive to own husband. 
What does that mean in today's day and age? Again, I, I, you, if you really emphasize the word and you look at what is being said here in the context, it's saying it's the proper order over obeying. Live your life in proper order before God in the way he has established the home. There's really good news. Uh, uh, submissive to your what? Own husband. It doesn't say everybody else's husband. To your own husband. So the first thing we've got to realize in a society that says that we have authority over women because we're men is wrong. You have to realize that he's made, there's neither, no distinction. Jew, Gentile, slave, free, man, women, guess what? One in Christ Jesus. Here's the beauty. I mentioned this last week. As image bearers of God, both male and female, we are equal in our beings. Ontologically, we are the same. But we have different functions. Go figure. And the way God says this is it's the same with the Trinity. The Father has no more glory than the Son. The Son has no more glory than the Holy Spirit. They, together as one true living God and three people, three persons, are one and equal. And yet when it comes to the plan of salvation and working things out, Jesus submits to the Father. The Holy Spirit submits to the Son and the Father. There is an ordering. And so he says this, God who's ordered all things and ordering all things brings him glory. There's a way that the household's supposed to work. And it's to have this, the proper order. Listen, I also told you that we really need to turn to scripture to let scripture interpret scripture. So let's quickly turn to 1 Peter 3 and let's get a little bit more on what this might mean because I think it's even more beautiful as we pull in a parallel passage. 1 Peter 3, verses 1 uh, through 5 says this. Likewise, I love that baton pass. Likewise, uh, wives be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word, not even believers, they may be one without a word by the conduct of their wives. When they see your respectful and pure conduct... Listen to this. You got to lean into this. Don't let your adorning, which really the word adorning there is so amazing and so beautiful. It's like putting into order to make beautiful. Don't let your adorning be external or external alone. The braiding of hair and the putting on of gold jewelry or the clothing you wear. But let your adorning, the putting in proper order to make beautiful, let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. It's precious in God's sight when we live our lives in proper working order, when we adorn the gospel in our lives. For this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves, putting in proper working order by submitting to their own husbands. Basically, this was God saying, this is how the women would live, realizing there's a God who's a God of order, a God who's made them and loves them and made them in his image. And it brings God order when there's a certain order. Let me skip to verse seven. Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way. Is that not the easiest passage of all of scripture? Husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way. Are you kidding me? Is that a joke, God? How do we do it? We need each other. We need the gospel. Be respectful in all ways. Submissive to your own husbands. I gotta say one other thing about this. It's never abusive. Women, if, if, if you're in a relationship where you are being abused um, and someone's telling you it's what God has and you are to submit to that, that's garbage. Come to me or the church to help you. Um, they're not loving you as Christ loved the church. They're not submitting to you as they should be. And this does not ever include abuse ever. 
We got to look at ourselves as a church and we've really messed this up in so many ways. We really have. We've used this as a chauvinistic stick. We've used this to push our own agenda and we got a lot of repenting to do. God is saying there's a certain order and that we got to pass the baton of faith and discipleship on from the old to the young to all bring him glory. Likewise, likewise, older men to younger men. And you got to love this. Be self-controlled. All that God says to the younger men, be self-controlled. He doesn't want to give any other list. I'm going to keep it simple. Be self-controlled. You know, I mean, on the internet, be self-controlled. With your lust, with your passions, be self-controlled. Let you be filled with the Holy Spirit. Younger men, we got one thing for you. Be self-controlled. Keep it simple. He talks about bond servants in verses uh, 9 and 10. And again, we don't have a category here in this time and age that really fits. A lot of preachers want to say, this is for you who have employers. I think it's so much more than that. Uh, it's really those who have gotten in some financial debt and are living there. I guess quickly say, when Paul deals with a household, he almost always deals with servants as well because they're there. And he says some amazing things. He says to those in the servant role, be submissive to your own masters in everything. And here's what the Holy Spirit pressed upon me to say to you. There's some of you who are in situations right now that you feel like you're in bondage. Maybe it's a marriage. Maybe it's a work. I don't know what it is. And sometimes God doesn't release you from those. But he wants to remind you the freedom we have in Christ Jesus. That our sins are really forgiven. That life really reigns and our Father really cares. He says, be well-pleasing and not argumentative. Not stealing, but showing good faith. And then the culmination of this whole thing is verse 10. Because so that in everything, in everything we do, that we may adorn, and that word adorn is put in proper working order. We may adorn, make beautiful the doctrine of God our Savior. Living our lives in a certain way that people say, man, there is a God and he is beautiful. May the gospel put our lives and our church in proper working order. All right, here's some take-home thoughts. Are you in the race? Are you in the race? Are you by God's grace, sound in faith and have a relationship with him? You know, the thing that bugged me the most about reading and researching that, that relay race with a drop of the baton, you gotta listen to this. Almost every one of those athletes had individual races they were still gonna run. And the reality is, is there's almost that there was a primacy of their own stuff compared to the team stuff. And I think that that's the church. I think the church right now today is more interested in our own race than we are about the team race. We're more interested in our own stuff than we are the relay that needs to be done to get us home and bring glory to God. Are you in the race? If you are, you have a baton. Who are you passing that baton onto? Are you in a community group? If you see in the bulletin, I have, list, I have for you an insert. Uh, this is the way, if you're in a race to help pass the baton, to be in this. Well, about half of us are. We're gonna relaunch these in the fall. Let me encourage you, if you have, by God's grace, faith in him, he has given you a baton to pass. Get into a community group. Fill this out. 
at the end of the service, there'll be baskets up here, people holding baskets, and we will love to get you connected to one. Let me show you some other opportunities. We have our women's ministry and our, our band of brothers will be re-cranking up. Great opportunities to pass the baton. I love the fact that hearing Jared give a report about our student ministry to the elders this weekend, this is what our student ministry is doing. Our high school students are going to be discipling our middle school students, and we're looking for leaders to discover, to disciple our high school students. Some of you are saying these following things. You know what? I'm not good enough to pass the baton. That's a lie. That's a lie. If you are walking with Christ, you have a story to tell. And not only that, you could listen to someone else tell their story. Satan may say to you, I have nothing to offer. That too is a lie. I love what Larry Shingler says. If you've been a Christian for five minutes, you have something to offer. Some of you may say, I've made too many mistakes. I can't disciple other people. Let me tell you, the perfect candidate is you can show how many ways you need a savior. You may say, I'm too broken. You know how God heals the broken? By giving, by sharing. If you're here and the enemy's whispering to your eye, into your life right now, you're too broken to pass the baton to someone. You've just, that's wrong. That's how he's going to bring healing to you. Many of you will say, I'm too busy. If you say that I'm too busy to invest my life into others, let me tell you something. Your priorities are messed up and you have to repent. And this is the primacy of God's word. And if you're just too busy to do it, things are out of order. Some of you may say, it's not my season. I've lived my life. I've done this. I've raised my family. Now's the time for me to enjoy the fruit of my labor and relax. Let me tell you, you're selfish and it's wrong. You need to repent. I love the fact that Don Holmes, who flew 31 missions over Germany in a B-24, gets up and goes to Band of Brothers Thursday morning at 6.30 to give his life to others, to pass the baton. Sound in faith, in love, and endurance. Men, we need endurance. At the close of last week, I was one of the last persons here, and Susan Reel came up to me, and she too was here with me. She said, you know, Jeff, this is a great church. It's a healthy church. I said, Susan, I think you're, you're, you're right. But I think there's so much more. I think that this church has something that other churches don't. You. We have something that other churches don't. Some churches are in our town are really young. You know what our church has? Some folks that have something to give away. And I believe with all my heart, if the spirit of the living God comes and breaks our hearts and the older men and women realize that it's not time to sit on the sidelines, it's time to invest our life in the next generation. Look around at our society. We have to pass this on. There are young people that are dying for mentors that would love to have you invest in them. Get off the sideline. Invest your life into the next generation and see what God will do to your life, to their life, and the life of this church. Let us pray. Father God, your word was direct this morning, a bit edgy, convicting to this pastor. I'm sure convicting to many of my congregation. But God, you're a good father. And you didn't tell us a proper working order to mess with our life. You've told us a proper working order to bring you glory and to bring us life. So Father, come. Come and put in proper working order the discipleship in this church, the leadership in this church, the lives in this church, the households in this church, 
all for your glory. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.